standing beside the fence, which is literally the line in the sand between the Byron Shire community and mega bucks developers Clarence Property. They plan to bulldoze this flood-prone coastal wetland called Wallum, which is home to 26 threatened species and three endangered ecological communities, and convert it into a luxury housing estate. The development would see over 500 ecologically significant trees cut down, including 76 old-growth scribbly gums, providing food for koala, koalas and hollows needed for endangered species homes. Behind me in the tree, you can see Possum, uh, uh, who is in a tree sit up there uh, trying to keep Wallum wild. The community here is growing in its opposition to this inappropriate zombie development going ahead. So the lines are being drawn for a fight between big money and strong community here in the Byron Shire. That was me standing uh, by the fence, as I said, uh, from the uh, at the the Wallum the, the Wallum planned development there in Brunswick Heads. In the background, you can hear the community choir who turned up uh, later on that day to sing their praises for the Wallum. Save Wallum is a community campaign working to save the Wallum, which is a, a, a word for the coastal uh, heathland, the type of coastal heathland of Brunswick Heads from destruction. And they're asking for everybody in the community to join in, uh, stand with them, to, uh, to because Byron Council has now approved the last stage of this development and uh, the community has no other choice but to use community action to save Wallum. So I've got coming up next uh, uh, Svear Pittman, who uh, was, uh, is one of the spokespeople for the Save Wallam campaign, who was there on the site of the vigil, uh, ready to, uh, to help the, the possum up the tree, who was uh, defending that site from being cleared. So I spoke to uh, Svear beside Simpsons Creek, which is the, the eastern boundary of the property which is uh, the uh, subject to this uh, this destructive development so why don't we let Svea speak for herself in uh, in this interview right now hi Svea could you introduce yourself please and tell us where we are and what we're doing here today good morning Sean yes I'd love to um, welcome to Simpsons Creek so we are in Brunswick Heads in New South Wales and this is the boundary of the property that is the um, heart of the cause uh, that we've started to save Wallum. So we are on the edge of a 30 hectare parcel of land that is about to be destroyed if the Byron Shale Council issues a subdivision certificate that will allow Clarence property to build 20, 124 houses or house sites on this property. So that's quite devastating news. This is a very unique area in the Byron Shire. It's a coastal wetland, um, quite unique ecology here. We have three endangered ecological communities and we have nine federally listed threatened species and another at least dozen um, New South Wales listed threatened species on site. And if you've heard about the campaign, you might've heard it's been called a zombie DA. And that's one of these strange terms that sometimes cotton on in the media. 
Um, but that basically means that it was resurrected sort of out of the grave from the past and it's um, it's come back to haunt us because of a, a concept plan that was approved in 2013. Um, and that concept plan goes back to reports that were done on the ecological impacts here back to the early 90s, mid 90s. And very sadly, last year, New South Wales Department of Planning issued an exemption certificate to say that they didn't have to have any current environmental assessments done. They could stand by what was done back sort of 10, 12, 15 years ago. So from the, 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 the early 90s, they, they did their original... So what's, what's the, 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 the problem there? What's the difference between what they were doing then and what we would expect them to do today? Well, there's a huge gamut, I guess, in um, advances in, in knowledge of... You know, I don't even think the term ecology was around in 1993 or 94. And I am an environmental scientist. I did my degree around then as an environmental science degree, and that was one of the first ones you could do. I think I started in 94 as a science degree. So before then, it was an arts topic. You know, this is very early on in the days of even understanding ecological processes and how systems are linked and the way these systems function. But then also fast forward 25 years and we have 1% of these coastal wetlands left. This is the, the prime real estate that everyone wants a part of and we have absolutely decimated our coastal regions in this country. We have the highest rate of mammal extinction on the planet and what we are standing here in front of right now is to stop that happening here. And when I say federally listed threatened species, that means they've been listed under the EPBC Act because there is so few of them left that they are at threat of going extinct forever across the entire continent. And we have nine of those species here um, and numerous other ecological values. There's aquatic values, we've got the amazing creek that we're on here, we have migratory birds, um, acid frogs, like it's an incredible, unique and amazing place. So uh, this uh, luxury housing estate that they're proposing, uh, the, the, the property boundary actually comes all the way down to Simpsons Creek here. They've done a lot of, a lot, they've put a lot of effort into greenwashing it to make it sound like it's actually going to be a benefit to the environment. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's outrageous actually, that's correct. So the, they do own, there's a 30 hectare parcel and it comes all the way down. So the, the creek is actually the boundary. And the, I guess the greenwashing comes in because the 17 hectares from here, um, which is pristine bushland to the Crown Road, was never allowed to be developed. It could never have been developed under the previous owner. The zoning has always been that this is in a coastal wetland and protection zone. As I said, this is part of the, the Cape Byron Marine Park Reserve. We're in the Tiagra Nature Reserve. So they could never have developed in this 17 hectares. And so there's mapping and imagery to show how they've given this great concession around, you know, there's that 17 hectares we're reserving for this, you know, community concession, but that's actually a complete facade and they were never allowed to build here anyway. Mm -hmm. um, the, se the second aspect of that, I guess, is that they have this third party certification from Enviro Development, which stands to say that they are an eco development <laughs> and they've gone out in the media and over the years it's been called a, a cow paddock and pasture land and all this sort of crazy things it's a it's a heathland in the center of the site it has been illegally slashed so it is considered illegal native vegetation removal as far as we're concerned there is an active um, court a case sorry within the council investigating that at the moment because that's been an ongoing issue for nearly 12 years i think um, so people like to think that vegetation, native vegetation is trees, of course it is, and it's rivers and it's frogs, but it's also heath. Um, so we have a number of small sort of ground orchids, banksias, those sorts of the wallum. 
Um, so all that in the middle of the site that they're calling the grass and the paddock land is also high high value, you know, heathland and wallum vegetation, and it's also got um, sphagnum moss underneath it. So yeah, it was never a cow paddock, <laughs> and I don't know how Enviro Development ever put their stamp on this because there is no way anybody with a who'd come to the site, I'm assuming they haven't been here, would say that this is in any way a site that should ever be developed. It needs to be reserved. It needs to be um, kept in, in you know perpetuity for the community and also for the um, immense cultural values, Indigenous cultural and heritage values on site. And that, Sean's not really my area to speak to, but I did definitely want to bring attention to that. You know, this is a, it's a sacred cultural site. It's a meeting place. There's a lot of Indigenous interest here. We've got a lot of um, Indigenous presence from the community and family. We've got a senior elder in camp who stayed with us last night. We had five or six members of, I think, three different families here yesterday. So that's you know, not my place to speak to that, but it's a, it's a wonderful... Um, it's an incredible site. There's cultural values as well, and the, and the camp we've got here is a really wonderful blend of, you know, young activists, sort of seasoned activists, and also our Indigenous, you know, custodians, because it, it is their land. It's, you know, there's no boundary here. It's not someone's. It always was, always will be. Yeah. yeah. So, so enormous cultural values, and, 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 like, although the developers are doing what they can to, to ensure that it doesn't revert into its natural state <laughs> yeah, this, this cleared it's a cleared area which is actually surrounded by uh forest all around it forest and heathland uh, you know it's it's actually a, a, a space that has been severely damaged but it still retains quite a few genuinely important ecological values can you speak to a few of those there's some important trees and some very important species can you give us a few details on that oh absolutely and um the heathland in itself is highly diverse and pretty much um zero weeds so i mean in terms of the intact vegetation sort of status of it it's it's in immaculate condition there's some grass um species on the very edge where the roading sort of coming in right against the existing suburban development but this whole site is basically weed free um and anyone with a science background would understand that that in itself is like a high, a high significant value um, it's also a creek that runs through the middle of the property and that is almost two metres deep in some areas. That's where our acid frogs exist. Um, again, another misnomer in the media that there's mosquito fish, gambusia in there, which um, if you're not aware or the listeners aren't aware that that's a sort of a cane toad in the river systems kind of thing. It's an invasive species and they're not there. Like the, the creek system, we've had our, our ecologists have gone through there. We've, we're about to release an aquatic values report actually. Um, because they've never done an aquatic survey. And that's another flaw in this process. They've called it a drain. They said it was an artificial drain until it didn't suit them. And then it was a river and then it was a stream and then it was a drain again. Mm. So, and yeah, we have 76 old growth scribbly gums on the site that are within that area like you were talking to. And they are a koala feed tree, a koala habitat tree. Um, and again, just on that one species, which is obviously iconic, endangered now at the federal and state level, severely endangered we're going to lose our koalas if we keep doing this here's a site we can save to help save the koalas mm, mm. <laughs> you know it's sort of that simple so we've got 76 old growth trees we're talking this big mm. misnomer number massive. 75 that they're 50 years old there's this crazy you know reporting out there that came from one of these unfortunately ecological reports that at some point was submitted that says these trees with girths that are meters around mm. are 50 years old mm. And unfortunately, our mayor seems to have cottoned onto that one. I hear it repeated constantly in the media. It is not true. We have had a tree ecologist come and study these trees. They take over 200 years to start forming the hollows. Mm. And even the smaller trees 
have hollows with, a, with an opening of this sort of diameter. Now yeah. that's a, a three or a 400 year growth cycle. So there is, they're pre-colonial, which again means before any of us white fellas got here, the mob here were looking after this place and that's what we do such a terrible job of. But yeah, that's another reason why there's such high sort of cultural values here because in the Byron Shire, there is not very much left that was here before white fellas were, you know, we've mm. done a very good job at destroying pretty much most of it. Mm. So. Yeah, there's 76 of those. There's a number of um, alocasurinas, which are the black cockatoo feed trees. Um, yeah, it's just heartbreaking. There's the swamp mahoganies, which are another primary koala food tree. And all of that is all around the site. It's mm. everywhere here. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, some really significant uh, in, in species. I understand there's some frogs, mm -hmm. acid frogs. Tell me about yeah. the acid frogs. They sound fun. <laughs> Not they sound true. like fun. They, they <laughs> don't go licking them. <laughs> Not quite in that sense. So we have two significant acid frog species here. Um, we have the Wallum sedge frog, which is federally listed, has not been addressed at all in any of the management plans and is one of the matters of national environmental significance that should be assessed at the federal level because if we go ahead with this development, if they let this go through, those frogs could go extinct. Like, mm. that's what we're down to. And they're a gorgeous little green frog. Mm. They live on the sedges on the edges of the waterways here. And to skip back a bit and explain the acid um, reference, it's because we have a coffee rock substrate a high water table and then an interaction between the two that means that with the vegetation and the rate of decay here that the acidity of the water that they live in, it's well, the pH is acidic. And so we're looking at from the bore testing they have done sort of around 3.7 actually to about 4.2. Right. Yeah, so quite acidic and these frogs love it. They're not out there having high in sky moments. They're uh, just wallowing around in the acid waterways. And so that's such a unique environment and unique ecology. That's what we're worried about. And the um, the groundwater is 30 to 80 centimetres below the surface. Right. So any cut and fill excavation, you know, the cut's going to interfere with that ecology. The fill's going to affect the flood-prone nature of the site. Um, and our poor little acid frogs, it, it's just a disaster. And the one that's got a lot of attention is our Wallum froglet. Um, they're endangered at the state level. And those little guys are honestly probably like the size of my little fingernail. And that's fully grown. And they're the crinuli and they are the most just so adorable. <laughs> and I think that's probably they're the little heroes of this campaign really because they're the only species right from the start that they've known existed here and they recognise that value and they've tried to uh, sort of manage it and offset it and all these terrible things. And they're proposing to dig these artificial frog ponds to compensate for destroying the habitat that they're going to take out. And just a final point on the sort of greenwashing, in the reports that they're still submitting to council as recently as last week, it says that they're going to lose, we're going to lose five hectares, I think, of frog habitat or in total. But the director general themselves, 12 years ago, at the start of this process, the zombie situation, I have a report, I'll give you a copy, it's in the media release of the kit. It says that there's 12.29 hectares of frog habitat going to be destroyed here. And that was supposed to be offset with these artificial frog ponds, which we know aren't going to work. Everywhere else they're just full of cane toads and there's no froglets, there's no acid frogs. It's, it's not a known scientific way to deal with this situation at all. Um, but yeah, they don't even have the maths right on what they're taking away. Mm. It's just outrageous, it really is. Yes, so um, the community is uh, is behind you. It seems clearly <laughs> yes. there's a lot of people who are actually really uh, outraged about this, this situation. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously the people of Byron uh, Shire love 
the, the natural environment and, and, and are here for it. What do you think is going to happen here in terms of community uh, building and uh, community action? Well, it's on the up and up at the moment, Sean. We definitely, um, we do have the community 100% behind us. We have over 5,000 people, members of our Facebook group, which is, you know, Bruns is a small town with probably 1,800 people who live here. Half of our camp at the moment live about three minutes away. <laughs> it's very easy to attend. We've got hundreds and hundreds, I think over 900 people on our red alert list now who are ready to come down here at any minute and support us um, if it comes to it. So yeah, I'm feeling very, very supported. It's been, we're on day six of our um, presence and vigil here and um, at the actual site. And we have a welcome tent. We have a, a base camp sort of situation vigil. It's supporting the tree sitters and we are keeping the impact as minimal as possible here, which is great because people can sort of come and go because they live just down the corner. So um, a protest like this in suburbia is definitely a unique um, proposition. And it does definitely sort of put us on the front foot, I guess. We've got food trains, we've got delivery services, we've got blockade Uber going on, we've got <laughs> call out for an esky and five minutes later there's an esky. So um, I think we really do have the community support to arc back to a, you know, a reference that's come up a number of times, you know, is this the next Bentley? It definitely could be. And the Bentley effect, I think we're following, you know, well on the heels there. It's the, the 10 year anniversary this year of Bentley. And I think this community has proved that when there's no social license, which there certainly isn't in this case, people are prepared to take a stand. Yeah. So what do you want uh, all of that community pressure right now to change in terms of how this decision has, you know, clearly there's been this decision by the, 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 uh, the Byron Shire Council to, to roll over and play dead on this. They're not gonna stand <laughs> up and, and, and oppose it as but the, the mayor has cast his casting vote on that. So it ended, ended up coming down to the wire within the council chambers and the mayor cast his casting vote for, uh, for, for letting the, the status quo stand. Mm. What are you hoping will change that? What are you hoping is going to happen next? What are you, who are you asking for to act on this at, at a decision-making level? Okay, so we sort of, we have two avenues legally and the New South Wales Land and Environment Court is um, probably not a lot to speak to there at the moment. We're having a lot of difficulty because of the zombie DA status. The literally, I mean, if you added all the reports up that I've read, you'd be looking at, you know, this much paperwork. So to find a pro bono lawyer to help us in that sense, and we're out of time with the appeal, it's a process, there's a, there's a different ball there. But what we're really imploring people to do in terms of supporting us now is to call Minister Plibersek at the federal level and demand that she refer this matter herself. So to have those nationally federally listed threatened species assessed for the impacts this development would have, we need to have it assessed under the EPBC Act. And unfortunately, to speak to the failures of our environmental laws in Australia, the way this process normally works is, works, is that the developers self-refer themselves. Yeah. So, I don't know, they're not doing it. Oh, <laughs> surprise, 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 surprise. So, they're not doing it, Tanya, they're not doing it. So, if we could please, Ms. Minister Plibersek, if you could please call it in, um, that's what we are asking for. We have been imploring and asking and pleading and emailing and there's a huge campaign that's been directed at the Federal Minister open your inbox. You know what we're saying, call it in, Minister. So that has been the stance for a while. And in terms of other avenues of calling it in or having it referred for assessment under the EPBC Act, Minister um, Scully, Paul Scully, who is the New South Wales Planning Minister, please give him a call, send him an email. His department issued the Zombie DA exemption certificate, the Certificate 34A. He has some authority and jurisdiction in this matter and could call it in. And then Minister Penny Sharp, who is our New South Wales Environment Minister, and she absolutely can. Mm. So we need Scully and Sharp on the phone to Minister Plibersek, either one of them referring it themselves or following that due process and undertaking some activation for us as the community, 
or just Minister Plibersek doing it herself. It's mm. that, it could happen tomorrow, Sean. You That's how a... easy this could be. Yeah, so, indeed, indeed. But you're, then, you're, in, you're, in the you know, seat, you're in the federal seat of Richmond here, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Justine Elliott is the ALP member for Richmond. Mm -hmm. um, have you had any positive uh, uh, feedback from Justine? Is she willing to go into bat for the community here or is she behind the developers? Oh, no, I, don't, I, I think she's, um, yes, she has been, we have contacted her. There has been some feedback. It has come from her that she would rather not have that directly discussed a lot in the media, so I guess I've got to bow out at that point. But I can say she has been on site and supportive, um, and we do know she contacted Minister Plibersek's office on our behalf, and she did convey some communication back to us, and um, so did Sue Higginson, who's been very supportive, obviously, but Justine Elliott um, did the same thing, and Minister Plibersek indicated to those members that she had contacted Clarence Property and reminded them they had a legal obligation to refer themselves. Full stop. And that was months ago. So, yes, and I can't really speak much more to that. Okay. Um, well, I guess it's now a, a bit of a waiting game as to if and or when um, you know the, 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 the destruction, the final, the bulldozers start moving into this this site, so uh, I guess you're you're really asking for people to come here and be part of this uh, this vigil. Absolutely, and we do need more support on all the levels of the campaign. We're running training sessions on a daily. We've got the knitting nanas here today. We're doing legal observer training today. We're doing non-violent direct action training today. That's not every day. So watch our Facebook page, our website www.savewallum.com, <laughs> and um, we'll advertise those event dates and things. So there's constantly things happening, but there's many ways people can get involved. Of course, we're looking for people who are willing to stand on the front line with us. Join our red alert list. I don't have my phone on me, but we'll put the number up. Um, if you just subscribe by saying save Wallum, we'll send you a confirmation text back. There's an orange and red alert system in there. It's all explained, will be explained along the way, but get the red alert and that means we need you come on down. And the more people we have on that red alert, the more we sort of stay on the front foot here. So, so just hoping for the best and it's a big unknown right now. Svea, thank you so much for all you're doing and thanks for talking to Environmental as Anything today. Oh, thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure. Thank you for all what you do. That was Svea Pittman, uh, who is an environmental scientist and a Byron Shire local, uh, who is uh, you know, deeply and passionately committed to the, the strong campaign growing there uh, in Brunswick Heads to save Wallen. So you can hear in the background uh, again that uh, community choir who turned up uh, on the day and uh, sang the praises of uh, the, the Wallam Heathland there at Brunswick Heads. I'm going to flick through to a, another little bit of audio, which this is Zoe. We're out here in Wallam. Uh, we're here to protect this beautiful land, this country, the heathlands, the frogs, the froglets and the wildflowers and these beautiful squiggly gum trees. And what are you doing? What have you been doing? We just finished a tree climbing workshop, uh, learning about harnesses and ropes and knots and yeah, getting ready for tree sits. Why? Why would you be wanting to get ready for tree sits? Well, the development that has supposedly gone ahead, um, we have possums up in the trees at the moment and yeah, camping out and defending this beautiful country. Zoe, where are we and why? Well, 
That was uh, Zoe, who had just done that uh, tree climbing workshop, and uh, there's some some footage of her climbing up into that scribbly bark uh, tree there on our Instagram. If you want to have a look at that, uh, you know, and share it around with your friends. So an inspiring uh, community campaign going, kicking off there in the uh, the Byron Shire here uh, in Bunjalung country uh, to protect the culture and the ecology um, of this extraordinary place, uh, something we can all get behind, hopefully. Next up on Environmental as Anything, we're going to show, we're going to have a bit of a uh, focus on forests for the next half hour and uh, I'm going to be speaking to uh, where I've got a, a, an interview in the can from uh, Susie Russell regarding the uh, the New South Wales EPA's failure to protect uh, greater gliders. Also speaking uh, to uh, the uh, forest protectors, Kashmir and Valerie and Eddie Lloyd, their solicitor, who were just outside Ballina Court yesterday with the, uh, uh, the, the results of uh, the court date there. So we'll be, uh, we'll be, there's plenty more to come here on Environmental as Anything. I've been uh, busily messaging uh, back and forth. I've got notification from uh, Gnomes from Rising Tide, who is uh, Naomi Hodgson, is a uh, volunteer community organiser with Rising Tide. And I hadn't announced this earlier because I hadn't gotten confirmation, but sounds like uh, later on in the show, we're going to be able to talk to Naomi, who was asking difficult questions of Prime Minister Albo at a a press conference, I think it was yesterday, um, and uh, they're going to get uh, her story as to what was that all about and what, how was that experience for her of actually getting to uh, to put some some tough questions to the prime minister about ending fossil fuel development here in this country. But of course, in between then and now, we'll be speaking to Sam and Freya from Victoria to report in on their experiences of the uh, climate chaos that's been racking uh, the the uh, the fine state of Victoria over the last week. So plenty more to come here on Environmental as Anything. Uh, 